Mzansi's sporting milestones, moments and stories. Flashback Fridays with Tabiso Musia. And uh, let's go now all the way to the USA. And that's where we find our legend, South African tennis legend, Christopher Rensbeck, who's going to talk to us about his career and also just about being appointed as the Davis Cup captain of South Africa. You can send us your voice notes to 061-4104-107. You can also SMS us to 41391. And you can call us directly on 11 2006 and uh, Christo is on the line. Christo, good evening and from us here in South Africa, thank you very much for taking our call tonight. Hi Tabiso, I'm uh, excited to talk to you and uh, yeah, it's a little bit in the morning but I'm ready for you and uh, I found out that you are were brought up close to where I was brought up, <laughs> near Utenay, 15 minutes from me. Yes, not too far from there. We lived in Red House. There was a, a, a little village there called Red House with about 200 houses. And that's where we grew up. I know that place. Yes. I know that place. With the river. We drove past when we go to Port Elizabeth sometimes. Exactly. That's exactly where I'm from, Christo. So it's a pleasure for me to talk to you, Christo. But now you are in the U.S. Where exactly in the U.S. are you? I'm now in Texas. I landed here after I kind of, towards the end of my career, because Kevin Curran lived here in Austin, Texas. So while we used to play, when we had a week or two weeks off, he was really good because then he invited some of us that, you know, you couldn't go home to South Africa for one week. Mm. And he just kind of took us in. And I fell in love with Austin, Texas, and it's, I've been here since 1991. That is amazing. I'm sure Kevin is listening. He's, he's been on this show before, by the way, and he's a big fan of our show. So let's hope he's listening. And what keeps Christo busy these days? Well, at the moment, uh, you know, this year, uh, two years ago, we started running professional tennis tournaments in Austin uh, under the dropshotseries.com mm. is the website. Mm. And uh, some businessman asked me if I want to run tournaments, and that has been going really successful. And while I've been doing it, I got to see the talent of what comes through these tournaments. And then I do some coaching on the side. I don't really advertise, but when someone calls me, and after the tournament, I had a girl now that lives here that is ranked uh, just outside of the top 400 Mm. and she's just been playing four months on the tour so that's kind of exciting to do a little bit of coaching on that level again and all this is the stuff that made me excited when i had the tournaments to say you know what i want to run again for the davis cup job because i lost five years ago to marcus Andruska, my friend (laughs) and he did a good job because he actually had an academy and Wayne Ferrara helped him, but uh, I'm very, I was very excited when I got it this time. It was on my bucket list, so That's now wonderful. I can pick this one off. <laughs> that is, <laughs> that is wonderful to hear, Christo. I went on your website and I saw that work you're doing as a tournament director, actually. But I also saw there's something you're advertising called Face. Does it go with you being known as the guy who played with a smile? Yes, because what happened uh, when I was playing. Because I was from South Africa and we were, you know, isolated, uh, I didn't really have uh, contracts. 
So when I was getting some rackets, I could really do anything on it. And I decided, uh, I saw a very, very long time ago, Elina Stasi played at Wimbledon in a senior event after he retired, and he had a smiley on. I said, that is awesome. So then I decided to put it on my string. So everyone knows that uh, that smiley face with the three dots and the middle of the three dots is the same size. I patented, and that's me. So <laughs> it's good to have a smile on your face. I, yeah. I'll tell you this story. I played in Japan, mm. and I took my rackets out when I was playing on the center court in Tokyo, and it was packed because, and the people there, it was such a noise when I took my racket out, and we couldn't understand that they saw the smiley face on the strings. And I said, wow, you don't have to speak English. You can speak any language in the world, but a smiley face, you totally understand what it means. <laughs> that is wonderful. And do you still play, Christo? You know, I hit a lot now with these people. I, I don't have that much fun really having to play. Mm. But hitting the ball and drilling people and play some points kind of, uh, you know, on a social base. You know, you play for 15 or 10 minutes and then you coach again. I'm starting to like it again. I obviously has never let my body go. I gym working and fitness. I kept that going. So for that, I'm obviously very thankful now. And how's Monica? Hello, Christo. Oh, no. Oh, there is, is he there? Oh, okay, we seem to have lost Christo van Rensbeck. That's our guest, by the way, tonight on SAFM's Flashback Fridays, a former South African tennis pro uh, who is now the newly appointed captain of the Davis Cup team. And on Twitter, Jack Puckert, he says, I know more of Pete Sampras and Boris Becker than knowing about Christo van Rensbeck. Thank you, Tabiso, for this Boundless sports show sounds like a deserving hero of one of the presidential awards given to outstanding sports person. Yeah, thanks, Jack. We are going to find out more about Christoph and Rendbeck's uh, playing a career. Yeah, I think even that that part of him beating Lendl, Sampras, Boris Becker, Pedraft, and all these big guns, it really stood out for me when I was looking back at Christoph and Rendbeck's career. And those who, are, who have seen Christoph play, or if you know about him back in the day, you can send us your voice notes to this WhatsApp number 061 4104107. You can also SMS us to 41391. We like just to use this opportunity or this show to educate each other just about our sporting stars of, of, of years gone by, especially those that played before our time. It's always nice to know uh, what was happening back in the day and to celebrate our heroes and our legends of South African sport in all, not just football. I know the football uh, legends always get a lot of airtime, but I think um, we are sportsmen's country and we should be able to just honor all our sporting heroes. So do join us with our conversation with Christoph and Rensbeck. We're just trying to connect back to him in Texas. And before we lost him, I wanted to ask him about Monica, his wife, um, because she also played. Christoph, are you back with us? Yes, I'm back. Sorry, we got disconnected. And no I was just talking that... Uh, you know, I don't play as much, but yeah. I'm hitting the ball well, and I've been looking after my body with gym work and fitness, so uh, it should help me a few more years for the Davis Cup <laughs> job before I totally have to retire. <laughs> and how's Monica, Christo? 
She's looking after me uh, when she left this morning. She did tell me she loves me, and uh, I wrote it down on a paper to keep reminding her about, oh. not to forget. Oh, that's wonderful, Luf. That's wonderful. Our family is good. You know, her sister Elna lives here too that played on the tour. Yeah. The brother lives in Austin. He's coaching. And my mother-in-law lives here. So we are all in Austin, Texas, except one of the sisters who's in Canada. Oh, so uh, we're all together. Everything is well. Touch base. No one had COVID yet in, my, in this group of people. But uh, so far, so good. Mm. Elna, Elna is it's Elna Reynach, obviously she the one that went to the Olympic Games in Barcelona. Yes, she and I went to that same Olympics. Yes. And when I played with Monica three years on the tour, then Monica got injured, and then I played with some of the matches with Elna. And what I did for my tournaments, and that's why I kind of feel these drop shot tournaments. Mm. I mean, I feel it's a success because. I have Elna running my uh, practice courts because she totally understands that system when it's raining and people need to practice. And then Monica is, you know, they both like it, like their dad that passed away that was a statistician and uh, they are really organized. Mm. So Monica is kind of my second hand and helping with umpires and people and the food. So I said the other day, I said to some people, you know, uh, I'm running these tournaments. I think my staff is overqualified. <laughs> we have three Wimbledon players in my staff. So I think it's, it's going to work out okay for the future. <laughs> Let's hope so. And talking about the future, you seem very excited, Christoph and Rensberg, about your role as the captain of the Davis Cup team. What are you hoping to bring to this role? And do you feel that you've come full circle? You know what, I'm very excited, obviously, because uh, I was very disappointed when I lost to Marcus Andruska five years ago, but I also knew that uh, he probably was going to be ahead of me when we applied for the job, because like I said, he had an academy and he had the backing of Wayne that lived in the same city where he lived, and I knew it would probably work out better for the players because I don't have an academy. I don't coach at an academy. I'm more a private person, analyze matches on video and then be in contact with the people that I feel can add value to what I'm looking for. So uh, I think the biggest thing here is right now is to understand the concept understand who are the people that I can work with in South Africa because I'm going to need a link from where I am and I think why this system will work really well. The top people in South Africa after they get out of juniors mm. is doing the good thing in going to American University to get used to that transformation mm. by playing a lot more intense matches and get to play against the rest of American and Europeans who are coming to college. So I can now focus on those guys and they will feed again into the pro level after college. But now, I mean, I made a list the other day of the top 75 players from South Africa that are ranked high enough. And we're separating them now. Every day we have some meetings and we have some Google Docs where we put the juniors 
the top 10 or top 12 juniors separating from the college players and then the pro players. So now you can follow them and reach out to them. And the great thing about the college is all these guys, most of them, all the matches now, you know, you can watch on on a live stream. Yeah. It just makes me think those years that I used to play, you know, you run on a Sunday to a phone and you have all your coins and you call your parents and you say, Mom, Dad, I have three minutes of coins worth and we're all on the phone. <laughs> And then now they just click on the TV or on the internet and they can see all their boys and girls play all over the world. So technology has really made it a lot easier to identify talent and to kind of learn about their game plans. I think that is the immediate thing and to make sure that there's people, even if they're not ranked in the top five in college, I want to reach out to the lower-ranked guys to say, listen, you're on my list. And just like my life, you know, I actually stopped playing tennis after I came out of high school. I wasn't good enough. I was only ranked 21 in South Africa under 18. (laughs) And one phone call from my late father-in-law changed my life when he invited me to come and stay with his family in Pretoria, in Johannesburg, actually. So I feel one phone call to a guy that might be even ranked 20th place in America in college as a South African. It might just spark him because he he will now find out I'm watching his ranking. I'm watching him. So to summarize what you ask, I hope to look back when I'm finished with this career of helping South African tennis that someone... I found I made a difference in his life through a system. We're going to try and figure out what the best way of doing it is. I have it in my head. I know how I'm going to do it. I'm just kind of still, uh, there's a few rough edges, but I think that's the main goal. Great. We look back and in the, Five, six years, we are, we're back in having three, four people at Wimbledon, like the old times. But that's identifying talent mm. and give people hope. Let's talk Even more. if they're not at the top now. Yes. And that's exactly what happened in my lifestyle. Let's talk Rank more about... 21 in South Africa and then got one phone call and changed my life. For those who have just joined us, we are catching up with South African tennis legend and the new captain of the SA Davis Cup team, Christo van Rensbeck, who joins us all the way from Austin, Texas. Christo, on that note of, um, of, of, of developing players, what does it take to produce a high-quality tennis professional? You know, uh, that's a tough question because... We as coaches, this came up actually in the interviews, when we were in the interviews and the board interviewed me. I think from my point of view, every player is different. You cannot mold players the way you want to play them. You have to go and study their games, find out what they like to do. And I think the key then would be What are they doing really good? Identify it, make them believe in their weapons, and let them use those weapons 70% of the time. I'm I'm focusing on that stuff. The 
the the thing I never liked about helping players, because let's face it, a coach is there and scouts. We, we we're trying to find who the best players are, and everyone is going to have mistakes that we have to fix. But if we can identify to these players where they good in, and what are they you know, what their game plans are, and then tweak it and let them use their personalities on the court. And then find out, obviously, nowadays, ranking does play a part, but because I'm just starting, the rankings are not that important for me as of now because I have time to see if their games are developing. And when you have ideas for players and you look at their videos again maybe three or four months later, you will find out who are the players that are trying what you kind of gave them to, or your suggestions. Mm. And, and so there's no medicine or recipe for yeah. it, but who is consistently working on their game and you can see they're playing a lot of matches because you have to play, you have to play matches. You've got to get used to pressure. Mm. Who's going to thrive? And results will show after a year. And Christo, can, can that be done here in South Africa? Or do our players need to move out of the country to go and further their tennis career? Because we've seen our boys and girls, they move out and mo- most of them actually go to the U.S. to start playing college tennis. I think the system now is a lot better than about 15 years ago because now they're having tournaments for the juniors to play in South Africa. And I think like any sport... When you play in South Africa, and as you get better, let's start a junior level. You have to prove that you are playing in these tournaments because that's the only place really where you can show selectors. You can show the, like Jeff Kutsia, who's the developer of the tennis day in South Africa, who are the people that are rising to the top in all these tournaments? Now we have a lot more, like all these ITFs for the juniors, so we can see where they fit in on the rankings compared to overseas. Now, when you get good and you're becoming much better in South Africa in your age groups, we then have to take you and have to send you on some of these teams that participate overseas that South Africa is also doing. Because now for your game to get better, you have to be able to compete with a higher level of players. And then when you get there and you're out of the juniors, now the big decision is how good were you during your 16, 17, and 18s when you compared yourself to the world? Do you want to go into colleges in America where you now go into that next level? So it's all about, Lendl, Lendl once explained it really well to me. Mm-hmm. You should think of a ladder. You can't jump from the first step in the ladder just to the 10th. You just work your way up and you see where you are plateauing. There you're going to have to work harder at your game, whether that is ITFs, whether it is South African juniors, whether that is they need more of the teams to go overseas to maintain to get that next level of experience and pressure. Mm. So that's what's really happening because about 15 years ago, the players who then came, they struggled in America. 
because it was a big jump to college and nerves were getting to them because I'm big friends with a lot of coaches. Mm. So the infrastructure now that Mr. Glover is running there, I think that's what makes, makes me excited. I'm going to look at college guys that's already have proven themselves among the Americans, and these are the people we're going to play against and the Europeans. So I'm excited. I'm excited about the structure, and they have those big tournaments next week in Potchefstroom. Yes, yes. I yes. mean, two eighty thousand dollar tournaments. That is amazing. Of that high level of tournaments they are running, and I know we're looking at December to add more in the Western Cape on sea level. And June is obviously looking at some futures in the altitude. Okay. So that's great because now you can, I can, we can see who's participating, mm. where, what the levels are. Oh, that's good to hear. Okay, let's talk about your career, Christopher Andrensberg, because we also invited you to talk about that. And <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of dust on the paperwork of my career. It happened so long ago. We should dust it off. <laughs> I want to know, though, how did a boy from Utenek that went to school at Branwach end up playing tennis? Because we played a lot of rugby against Branwach, but never tennis. Did we beat you? Yes, al- always, of course. You had a very strong okay, rugby I'm team. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, they, they did have a good team. Yeah, I know. They, they did have they, a good team. Awesome. and uh, they, But, uh, you know, my, so if you want to go back there, I'll try to summarize it quickly. My dad and my mom played very social tennis. So they would go on a Wednesday to play. I was like a little kid. Those years we, you know, sometimes you want to have babysitters or something. So I'll just go with them. They were both school teachers. And then I have a brother that's eight years older. He was actually a very good cricketer. He got picked for the college cricket team to go to England. But then it was right in 19, I think, uh, 72 or uh, no, 74, 75 when they couldn't go anymore. Mm. He will always say that he taught me a slice serve. That, <laughs> that was his thing. But in the back of our our. We played on a concrete slab. We had bricks, and we will have a rope attached. So just being with my parents, and then weekends they would play, I would just, uh, you know, always be just next to a court. And then we actually had a really good players from Utnik. Mm. Linky Bosov's mom coached me, and Linky won the U.S. Open uh, doubles with Ilana Kloss. So I was about 12 and 13 when she came back from overseas with it with me. And then we had, uh, you know, Michael Myberg was ranked about 200 in the world in singles. So we, and the the Mark sisters, we had a lot of people there actually that played on the tour coming from that era there. Mm. So, and they had a good structure, they had a good infrastructure playing in Paul Elizabeth and Utnake and Kirkwood, because every weekend you would play in the afternoons. Remember, we had these uh, leagues that you play. doesn't matter if you're a junior, if you're good enough, you play for your city, for the Utnake Tennis Club, and you play singles and doubles. Yeah. So I used to play against people that was better than me, but, you know, you survive and then you get better. Yeah. So there's a lot of tennis you know, just brought up next to tennis, but I did play rugby and cricket. I actually had to pick between cricket and tennis. Mm. So, 
Do you know uh, Kenny McEwen that played cricket for South Africa? No, 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 no. So he was running a cricket academy for the top cricket players in PE, and I was selected to play because I played for the EP uh, primary schools cricket. So one day I arrived late for the cricket practice from a tennis match, and he says, boy, you're going to have to sort out your priorities because (laughs) cricket is that's what you should play. You should stop this tennis game and arrive late for my practice. I was so scared. And I think one day I saw him long after that and we laughed about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great to hear. And talking about that, I mean, how good was the scene then back in those days, especially in the 80s? Because I see in your resume that you won the Joburg Open in 1989. So were we playing high-level tennis here in South Africa during those days? Yes, because they had they they used to have the sugar circuit that started in uh, you know when we were juniors, but it was a senior event and it was uh, Durban and then East London, PE, Cape Town. It was like four or five weeks of tournaments, and overseas players would come and play because you would make points. Oh. And you need to play sometimes lower ranked tournaments to make points. And we had great players, and then they had. You know, they had the South African Open, and I know Ray Moore was, he- was heavily involved with that, and you form, you were in the squads, and then you go and you see Paul coming to play in South Africa, and, uh, you know, Vidas Jarolaitis, and guys from, you know, just uh, Vilas and Dowdswell. So you get to see all these people, and I think that is what was missing but it it's coming back slowly now again because the south african kids who are playing tennis now they need to see some uh, top people coming to south africa and then wanting to be like them and we have to find role models out of this list of 75 that i'm looking at like Kevin Anderson is, and I hope and uh, Lloyd Harris is taking over, mm. you know. And I think we, I think Joannette Kruger and uh, the team there from the Fed Cup, mm. they are going to also do a great job now. In we have to get the women's tennis back also because we need we need the kids not to just run to cricket and to rugby, yeah. because tennis is a great sport. They, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you something else that they did a, a, a thing in America and they collected data and stuff and stats. They figured out that most of these guys that became very good in baseball, basketball, all these sports, somewhere when they were young, they were introduced to tennis mm-hmm. because they have to move. It's a ball that's rolling or bouncing eye and hand coordination and it covers so many of the motor skills Mm, and that's why tennis is exciting because you can play you know you can play a very long career but uh, a lot of exciting news happening we've actually got somebody on the line that saw you win the 1989 johannesburg open how's this mike dunk good evening (laughs) sir thank you very much for joining us on safm hello mike Oh no! Apologies for that, Mike. Dunk. Oh my goodness, Mike! Does Mike, it sound familiar? Where are you? you were going to give me a, a little bit of a boost. Where are you? Does the name sound familiar, Chris? <laughs> Christo? 
Uh, I need a last name also. Mike Dunk. Because sometimes they Michael and then they call themselves Mike. <laughs> I do know a few Mikes, but uh, where did it, where is he calling from? Don't worry, we're gonna from, get him. Uh, Red House, Red House, or you can <laughs> maybe from Dispatch. <laughs> dispatch, yeah. Hey, Dispatch won the World Cup rugby. Yes, Rassi. They got a good. Okay, yeah, Rassi. Yeah. And remember, Danny Kaba, the center. And then my other friend who passed away, Domkrach. Uh, no, not that one. That was the 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 prop for the Springboks. Oh, dispatch Ma- Mike is back. Mike rugby. is back on the line, Christo. Uh, good evening, Mike Dunk. Thank you very much for joining us on SAFM tonight. Thank you to be so good evening to you and to your listeners. I believe you were broadcasting. You saw Christo win the 1989 Joburg Open. How good I, was he? <laughs> I, <laughs> not, not bad for a youngster. Not bad for a youngster. <laughs> you know, that voice, that brings back memories. I mean, I love that voice. And now when he's done, he's probably going to ask me to send him a check because he has to talk nice about me. Mike, <laughs> love you, man. Nice one. Mike, tell us about Christo. Christoph and Rensburg uh, is a wonderful gentleman, and that's probably one of the best com- uh, compliments you can make mm. about somebody. His knowledge of the game is probably unsurpassed. And what I really uh, think he's going to do is the way that, that Christo reacted with the press here in this country and with people that I saw him with overseas, I think he's going to be in a, a very, very good man management role for the, the Davis Cup, I think. The way he acts, the way he talks to people, his knowledge of the game, I think he's going to bring the best out of the Davis Cup team that he's going to assemble to represent South Africa. His knowledge of the game is is tremendous. I mean, he achieved a lot. You said he won the uh, South African Open, which he did. But remember, he was probably remembered more as a doubles player than yeah. a singles player. He, uh, he formed an exceptionally good combination with an American Paul, uh, called Paul Anacone. Mm. Uh, they went on, they played the World Doubles, they qualified for the World Doubles uh, the year end. It happened, I happened to be in London in 1987 when in those days it was played at the Royal Albert Hall and I went along mm. and I saw a couple of his, uh, of his matches there. So he's played tennis, excuse me, he's played tennis at the, at the top level. Can I tell you a little story about Christopher and winning that South African Open? Yes, please. Afterwards, he came up to the press and he said, guys, he said, I'd like to take you all to lunch. We said, you know, being hungry press people, we said, Christopher, thank you very much. We'd love to come to lunch. So on the the Monday, we all assembled at, at a very, very nice restaurant. We had an excellent lunch. And at the end of it, I went up to him. I said, thank you very much, Christopher. Really appreciate it. And, he, and I said, did you enjoy it? He said, he said, oh, Mike, he said it was a wonderful day. He said, but I didn't expect you all to want dessert. <laughs> That's generous for you. Christo, do you remember that day? <laughs> you know, I remember that day, and it was probably, firstly, Mike, thank you very much for the kind words. I mean, you're a star. I know you for so long, and... In sport, you can do the press. They are very important people, and I was very fortunate that, you know, I I got along with them, and uh, it was just nice to hang out with all of you. But I remember that day because I think it was a little bit how I was brought up with my family, my parents. I really had great parents, and they taught you a lot of values, and they taught you – you know, just how to treat people. And 
I think that was one of the nicest lunches. <laughs> Although it was a lot more than I wanted to spend because everyone just ordered dessert, like you said. But it was the the best money I ever spent that day. And you just got to you got to sit there with the people that talks about you, and they can say good things or bad things about you. And I can't wait to come back. I think some of those people are not with us anymore, and I will get updated on that. But I can't wait to just have a little re reunion like that again, Mike. But thank you so much for the for the great words. Wonderful. You guys were great. I mean, listen, I the press. It, it, it's it's important. I tell you a story about the press and commentating. So I'm playing the Hopman Cup, mm. and Bob Hewitt is commentating. And I know Bob really well. I'm a good friend of him. And he's commentating, and I'm playing with Amanda Kutcher, and we up a break, and we 30, I'm up 30 love on my serve and a break. I serve four doubles in a row. <laughs> and I said the next day, I've got to go and hear what Bob said, because, I mean, and I listened, and I think he avoided it. He just didn't oh. really talk about it, and I thought... Wow, Eddie scored a lot of points with me because he probably could have taken me apart. <laughs> but uh, thank you very much. Thanks, Mike. We, thank you. Wonderful no call. No person can, can do this without the help from the press. It's wonderful call, Thanks, Mike. Mike. We, we really, really appreciate it. Thanks for joining us. And Mike mentioned you as a double specialist, Christo, in your partnership with Paul Anacone there. You won the Australian Open. Is that the highlight of your doubles career? Surely. Yes, I think any time you can. <laughs> there are two things for me in doubles, and one, that was one, because when you can have a Grand Slam title behind your name, mm. it's very special, because that's the highest honors you can get, is having one of those uh, titles. And the other thing was when Anacone and I played together, and they had the team ranking, and the team ranking came out the week that we were the number one team in the world. And it was actually funny because, like you know now, I play tennis. I was top 20 in singles yes, too. Yes. And I'm on the court four or five years ago. Was a, I, I went back to Wimbledon and I coached for five weeks a number four player in England. Mm. And we ended up having eight days in a row practicing with... Uh, Djokovic. Mm. So on the court is my player, myself, Djokovic, Becker, and he's, uh, two of his fitness and trainers are just there. Only us on the court. And obviously I've played Becker before and fortunate that I beat him mm -hmm. once and lost to him once. Mm. So he introduced me, obviously we know each other very well, he introduced me to Djokovic and he says, this is Christopher Rensberg, uh, he's a very good doubles player. So afterwards, I went to him. I said, so you didn't want to tell him I played singles also <laughs> and that I beat you, but I'm joking with him now. Yeah. I said to him, explain this to me. Would you, have, would you rather say you were top 20 in the world in singles and you beat five number ones in the world, mm. or are you going to say that you were a very good doubles team that was ranked one in the world? And he was very interesting. He said to me, Christo, I know that singles is, you made a lot more money in singles and you beat a lot of people, but whenever you can go and you can say you were number one in the world in something, 
that is standing above everything else. Wow. And that was kind of an eye-opener for me that uh, he said that. And mm-hmm. since that day, I looked at it a lot different. If people want to say that I was a good doubles player, I said thank you. And if they don't say anything about the singles, I just let it go, just because of what he taught me that day. Whoa. And what's key, Christo, to being a good doubles partnership? Or what was key to your partnership with Paula and Akone? We see guys always changing partners. Some mm-hmm. guys stay together for a long time. Some don't have a choice. They're brothers, like the Bryan brothers. But what's key to a good doubles partnership? For me, it is a relationship because it's like a marriage. Because you off the court together, you usually travel together, you practice, you play. So there are going to be tough times and there's going to be great times. So chemistry and a relationship is one of the biggest things in doubles. It's not necessarily. I'll, I'll give you another example. When Anacone and I could not play a tournament, I played at that stage, I was ranked probably about 18 in the world or somewhere there in the top 10. And the number one player in the world in, this, in doubles asked me to play with him. Mm. We were suck. <laughs> we would have lost to Elna and my wife. We couldn't buy points. I think we lost two and three. Oh. And in the next week, we played both with our old partners, me with Annika and him with his partner, and he went with his partner, and they won the next week, and they won the tournament. <laughs> so it has a lot to do with uh, chemistry and uh, relationships. So you're still friends with Paul? Are you still in touch? Yeah, he sent me a little thing, like clapping hands and stuff when I got the Davis Cup job, oh, nice. and then was very fortunate. Lendl called me two days ago. Because those are two of my top friends who's very nice. big in tennis. So Lendl says, uh, I'm resigning. This is how he answers the phone. I'm resi- Because I texted him about a day before. I said, hey, I got the Davis Cup job and I put your name down as my vice captain. <laughs> because we really joke around a lot. Yeah, yeah. So he calls me back the next day. He says, hey, I'm resigning because you're telling everyone on your resume that you beat me. <laughs> So I don't want to be your vice captain anymore. <laughs> this is the first two sentences he says to me. <laughs> that was actually going to be my next question. You've beaten all of these top guys. I mean, you've mentioned Ivan Lendl, you've beaten Jimmy Connors, John McEnroe, Boris Becker, you've just touched on, and Pat Rafter. And the first one of two men to beat Pete Sampras in straight sets at Wimbledon. Is there any win here that was sweeter than the other? Or, or what was? why were you able to beat all these big names? I'll answer the last question first. Mm. To beat those guys, you have to have a really good team around you. And this is one thing now when I talk to the, the top mental coach in South Africa, Yanni Pitter, I'm a lot in contact with him, you know, about learning. He, he, was, he was saying it out to you, you need a good team. You can only go so far by yourself. So I was very fortunate to summarize it. Peter Fishback. Firstly, I had very good coaches in juniors and stuff, but let's just focus then at the end when you were beating number one players in the world is, mm-hmm. you know, you had, I had Peter Fishback who coached me. In his life, he only coached three people. The one won the Australian Open Brian teacher. The next guy was almost Munstorf, 18 in the world, and I was 19. So I was his worst player. 
but what a resume of a coach who only coached three people. Then being on the court with Lendl for eight years, so many sessions, and Tony Roach is yeah. coaching him, and just the three of us are on the court sometimes. Do you hear what they say? Then I had Warren Jakes, who coached uh, Kevin Curran, Steve Denton, and there was another guy uh, that was about number seven in the world. He coached me for three years. So the people that were around you and then having the chance to practice with Lendl and share information in how to beat these players was just, it was priceless. So... uh, that to summarize all of that i really had good people in my team and i obviously worked very hard uh, off the court i mean when Lendl and i went two weeks of the year we would go away and practice for the u.s open it happened about three weeks after Wimbledon because he would take two weeks off after Wimbledon and then it's we go and meet at this place off privately uh, in the Bahamas. We would go down there and we'll fly there. We had four sessions a day. And then like I always joke, Saturday afternoon he says, we're having dessert. I said, I have whatever you have. He walks out of the the place and he brings back for us each one scoop of ice cream. I said, (laughs) after four sessions, a day for a week, this is all I get as dessert? He says, you asked to get the same as me. And he laughs. <laughs> so just being able to be with those people and be fit and being able to play a long time mm. uh, during a match before you get tired, I think that was a combination. Yeah. And then the, the other question was, I would say probably Jimmy Connors. Oh, okay. Because this was my big final, first one that I got to. And I was playing well that week. I beat another guy that was four in the world in the semifinal. And we played this match, and it was in his home crowd. The, the main sponsor was his, the title sponsor <laughs> of the tournament was also his sponsor. <laughs> and that night I finished at 12 o'clock because we were also in the doubles final. You spoiled the party. And beating him, and suddenly now you realize, wow, you actually has crossed that box off by winning a big tournament. Just talk to us quickly so about beating... About, yeah, And then about beating Pete Sampras, I believe that you were not feeling well ahead of the match, or you couldn't even hit a ball. You even surprised yourself by your performance. With your performance. Well, I can tell you now because, shame, my mom passed away and my dad's because what I'm going to tell you now, they'll be very disappointed in me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I played so bad in the, in the warm-up that day. Listen, it did build up a little bit. Uh, three, four days before the draw, when the draw came out, I played really well, and that's the time of your career where you feel, well, if you're going to do something at Wimbledon, you know, it's going to have to happen. You're going to have to, if you want to go deep into the second week, you've got to start. It was just in the prime of how I was playing. Mm. And the draw came out and the press was all over this match because <laughs> Sampus was the next guy. Mm. He was going to be good. And he was. They were yeah. right. Yeah. And I felt this was, I learned a lot in the match because at that stage you says, this is a terrible draw. I could have had so many easier matches, but now I can use that 
when I'm coaching new players, when a draw comes out. So anyway, what happens, as the draw came out, I played worse and worse and worse in all the practices because this thing was just, it just kind of went in your head. So the morning of the warm-up, my coach took me off after 20 minutes. We usually warmed up about an hour, 45 minutes to 50, and he took me out because I broke two rackets. I just couldn't. It was just one of those days. I had a bad day. And then the first match, the point starts, and I was so super ready, and it just clicked. Everything just clicked. So, uh, but remember, I mean, he wasn't number one then. He was on his way up, but he yes, won the yes, U.S. Yes, Open yes, that yes. year. So, uh, now I'm happy to have that written yeah. on my Wikipedia or wherever they write it down. Christo, we've got but, a minute. Uh, a it, minute. Was, it was just four days yeah. for me. Yeah, we've got a minute left. I wanted to find out, how was it working with Michael Chang? That was one of also highlights in my coaching. Because uh, most of the people know, and you will know too now, that I'm a very big Christian. I pray in the morning and in the evening, and that's how I was brought up with my family. So God is at the top of whatever I do. And he was like that. So for me, it was very easy every time that I would work with him. Before the practice starts, him, his brother, and me would go, call us to the net. And funny, the first time he says to me, I usually pray before every practice. I don't know if you want to join. I said, sure, <laughs> I'll join. It's very easy for me to join this. And then he would just say a little prayer, and then the practice started. But... The reward of coaching him was he was two in the world when I got the opportunity to coach him five weeks. He would, in the beginning, I kind of just talked to his brother because I don't talk to the player if he has a set coach his whole life. And after the second day we were together, the brother turned to me and says, you don't have yeah. to tell me, you can Coach tell him. him. So that we formed a trust. And that made me feel... It, it made me feel good. I, I earned the trust of a guy who was ranked number two in the world in about a day and a half. Wow, that is so wonderful. So it was really great. That is wonderful. And of course, he won the French Open. Was he 17 when he won the French Open? Michael Chang. What a great player he was. But Christo, unfortunately, just because of time, we're going to have to leave it there. There's so much we can talk to you about. Playing with Venus Williams in the mixed doubles. Playing with Martina Hingis. All those stories there. But just time is not on our side. But we're glad you were able to join us from the US tonight. We wanted to highlight what you've done. Congratulate you on your appointment. And most importantly, sir, give you the respect that we think you deserve. So thank you very much for having me on your show. Anytime you need something, call me. And to everyone in South Africa, I will tell you, I will do as well as I can. I'll give 110% and hope we'll find the talent and get them back where all these players belong. Okay, great. We're going to call you to try and get Pete Sampras and Ivan Lendl on this show. <laughs> and even Michael Chang. But we have to leave it there. It's time for news. Bridget Masinga should be up next.